Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. And, of course, that's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. And uh, first up, we have to say good morning to Virginia Haywood. Good morning, Virginia. Good morning, Pam. It was so nice this morning. A duvet, warm. Oh, <laughs> I wanted to stay in bed instead of getting out thinking, oh, I'm so hot, I might as well get up. <laughs> you surely didn't go to bed last night with a duvet on. No, but I did. I, and it, when I, it was only about 20 this morning. You know, it's been yes. so hot. I, I know. I have not enjoyed it. I left Sydney in 1981. And one of the reasons I left was because I didn't like summer. Yep. What am I doing? I'm living in Sydney again. Mm. (laughs) Yes, Sydney's moved down to Melbourne. (laughs) And I do wonder, I do wonder, I was just talking to Graham about this, are we going to have these wetter summers? That we? I mean, this has been absolutely divine. It is green. The valley is green. It's amazing, isn't it? It's wonderful. (laughs) Yes. But are we going to have these wetter summers because Sydney has moved down and Sydney's turned into Brisbane and Mm. so on and so forth? Mm. Because it'll be interesting. When I first came back from London and Dad was unwell and we spent the first five years sitting on the veranda all summer in the sun, all winter, I mean, in the sun, cause it, and it was beautiful, which, mm. of course, was the drought. Yes, of course. And maybe that's what we're f- going to line up for, drier winters and wetter summers. Who knows? Hmm. Interesting thought, isn't it? Yes. I, I, I have a feeling the humidity's um, gonna, definitely yes, going on, to increase. And that'll change our planting a bit. Uh, it'll also bring about more um, thunderstorms. Yes, yes. So, um, yes. So it's gonna be Wild in, and woolly times. In, indeed, indeed. Yep. Okay. We also, of course, it's the second Sunday in the month. We have to say good morning to Graham Sargent. Oh, good, good morning, morning, Graham. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, everybody out there in, in listening land. Um, yeah, it's interesting talking about that part of the um, um, uh, climate and it's really very nice and green up around our place and uh, uh, then I look across at eucalypt forests that have been planted since the big fires and I mate I think oh don't get one in there again it'll take off again Mm. and and they've just planted eucalypts I'm sorry (laughs) BHP owned it but anyway we won't say any more and um um Maybe it's a good thing that perhaps it's going to happen, eh? That it, things keep green this time of the year. Yeah, well, it, it should limit the mm. fires a bit, which mm. would be wonderful because, mm. you know, California and us have got the worst fires in the world. Mm. That's a combination of overdevelopment and mm. a dry, dry, dry summers. Mm. Mm. Well, I get down into Doncaster and Templestowe and Eltham and I think, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, there's a lot of fuel in there, isn't there? Oh. Never mind. <coughs> no. Go up to the Dandenongs yes. because mm-hmm. there's twice as many people, three times as many people living there, mm. and all those lovely apple trees and pear trees have gone, which don't mm. burn. Mm. And there's heaps of eucalypt back, mm. and there's skinny roads. Mm. I still have an appeal for people planting natives. Don't let them get any any higher than two meters. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say that to the Dandenongs. Eucalyptus yeah. regnans is the biggest tree in the world. I, I, we have delight in, in, in pruning them back at our place. Just whop into them. And they come back well. They're, yes. they're, they're brilliant. They're tough and hardy critters. Yep. Yeah. Okay. We must say a very good morning to James Beatty. Morning, James. Morning, Pam. And morning, everyone. Um, on, on Graham's last point there, lopping back eucalyptus, I reckon the juvenile foliage of a lot of the species is really underrated as, as a useful garden plant. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to grow uh, red box. Um, its common name in America is the silver dollar gum because it gets those beautiful big round um, 
silvery silvery leaves with that down on them. Yeah, yeah. And I had them planted as a as a bit of a informal hedge um, in a garden I was looking after, and I, I used to cut them back to the ground once every. Three years or so, yeah. Yeah. and okay. you you would be without a hedge for about maybe three months of yeah. the year after yeah. cutting them back. But then after that, there'd be this explosion of growth out of the ground yeah. and this beautiful juvenile foliage that was really much larger than the than the mature foliage. Mm. Very showy, very yeah. showy. But I know, I know John Rayner at Burnley. I think it was him that did a lot of uh, research into into juvenile eucalyptus mm-hmm. um, leaves and their mm-hmm. value as ornamental mm-hmm. plants some years and, ago now. But and chop, and chop them back and then walk through there and get the smell of the eucalyptus. Yeah, it's lovely. Isn't it fantastic. Really, really nice. They do a lot of that in the botanic gardens. Mm. Right. Okay. They bring mm. some of the eucalypts. They grow them. Specifically, specifically yeah, for this, the you young go. growth, mm. yeah, the young mm. leaf growth. So you get the round grey leaf, <laughs> and it is, it's lovely. Mm. They do the same with the um, cottonus; they cut them back, yes, to the ground. Yes, mm. well, yep. we we did an experiment with a, a windbreak we put in since the fires, and uh, we put in wattles that mm. are native to our area, and then about uh, four months ago, we just whopped the top off with a hedger. Mm-hmm. And, mate, they've come back beautifully. Yeah, mm. excellent. And it's filled up the windbreak. I look at so many windbreaks. They're not windbreaks. They're wind tunnels. Mm. Yes. And the animals get underneath them. And I've known of people that have actually lost calves because the calves camp under the windbreak and they're in that cold tunnel, that cold atmosphere, and they've actually lost the calves. And they just expire. Mm. Yeah, okay. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, um, But I find even though we've had this damp summer, that when I'm digging, because I'm planting, I mean, why not plant? The only yeah, reason you don't well. plant in summer is because there's no water, and Absolutely. there is water this year. Mm-hmm. And to plant and then get some good development in the roots before the winter mm. it seems to me like an excellent idea. You so, get a great head start on the yeah. next season. So I've yeah. been planting, but underneath my trees, the soil's still as hard as hard. It's out with the pickaxe. Mm-hmm. So I'm not planting there. I'm only planting out in the west because <laughs> the pickaxe and my shoulder are Sort of come into disagreement. Yes, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I've done that once before. <laughs> Couldn't straighten up for a week. Well, it was really interesting. I went to went over to England for two months, and I went with a tennis elbow and a sore shoulder, which I'd had for nine months. And because I was away for a whole two months, I came back with no tennis elbow mm. and no sore shoulder. Mm. So I thought, aha. It's you, Garden. You've done it to me. <laughs> That's why our, our, our fixing up professions flourish, like the chiropractors and osteos. And you look at, oh, there's another one set up practice in there and um that's i think it's peculiar to australia especially people who dig holes (laughs) (laughs) doesn't seem to worry the rabbits graham no 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 funny about that they're good aren't they they? (laughs) (laughs) just train them to dig in the right places (laughs) (laughs) okay i'm going to get straight to some community announcements um now Two of these are actually for today, so um, if people are interested, they probably need to uh, get their act together and think about heading out the door soon. Uh, The first one is that there is a guided walking tour today of Melton Botanic Gardens. This is being run by the Friends Group, and uh, during the National Sustainable Living Festival, uh, you can take the opportunity for this guided walk through the ever-developing Melton Botanic Garden to see plants that tolerate a dry climate and low water conditions. The walk is about 90 minutes, followed by a free morning tea. Highlights are the natural features, the dry land eucalyptus arboretum, Western Australian and South Australian garden beds, bush food garden, sensory garden, uh, southern African garden, um, 
Mediterranean garden and the indigenous plantings in the indigenous people's gardens along the Ryan's Creek and beside the lake. So the details are it does happen this morning. It starts at 10 a.m. with the suggestion that you arrive about 9.45. You meet at the depot, which is 21 William Street in Melton, and... uh, it's as I say, it's 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 free. Um, now you can leave a message for John Bent- Bentley on his phone just to say you are planning on coming, and his number is nine seven four three three eight one nine nine seven four three three eight one nine. So that's a great opportunity for a guided tour this morning round Melton Botanic Gardens. Can I say that I went to Melton Botanic Gardens at the end of last year, and I thought it was. Fab. I hadn't been before. Right. And it must have been... It's one of the best regional botanic gardens I in was, Victoria. And there I were all, and a yeah. huge amount of and stuff it's just was in get flowers. Yeah. And it was just mm. beautiful. I mm. was really impressed. Yes, it is going to get better, mm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's still very young plantings. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, I want to see it in 10 years' time. Mm. It'll be amazing. But also a lot of those Mali eucalypts have got up and they've got such big flowers. Mm. And, you know, it was just... I loved it. They've got extensive grasslands that they've kind of reinstalled as well. They've used wallaby grass on mm. mass, which is just beautiful it's right up my alley definitely floats my boat in a big mm. way it's a gorgeous gorgeous botanic garden and all volunteer created and run and yes yeah fantastic achievement by mm. all the people out there and they've got yeah. also it's got well a, worth getting along to have and they've got at. a nice little nursery mm. i've mm. got a very ugly building built on the other side of the road and i've got bought a number of their mallee gums to Just put to in front it of it yeah mm, very Just good to break it up okay excellent all right, now the uh, the other one that's on today um, is the Werribee Park Heritage Orchard Summer Grafting Day. Now, this is always um, uh, very popular, I know. It's uh, starting at 10, running right through until 3 o'clock. So uh, you do have plenty of time during the day to get down there if you're interested. Uh, now, what you can do is um, choose the variety of heritage fruit you'd like to grow and one of their skilled members will uh, graft it onto a new rootstock for you to plant at home. Or you can graft it yourself because there's going to be lots of instructions on grafting uh, today. And they will also have both scion and rootstocks uh, for sale. Um, now, as well as that, the local CWA will be providing food and refreshments. Rotary members will be directing traffic uh, via Gate 5 uh, so that you don't have to walk too far. Uh, the Kareni gardeners uh, are hoping to have a stall selling their plant varieties from the kitchen garden. There'll be local native plants and old-fashioned favourites from Werribee Park Gardens also there for sale. Uh, plus they'll have the usual tours of the orchard, uh, grafting demonstrations and lots of established fruit trees for sale, including heritage apples and pears. Now the details... Uh, that you go to Werribee Park Homestead, enter via Gate 5. It's K Road in Werribee. Uh, It's free entry. Uh, Trees grafted to order from $15. And uh, as I say, it's running from uh, 10 o'clock this morning right through until 3 o'clock this afternoon. So a great day if you want to learn all about um, heritage fruit. Now also coming up, uh, and this is... uh, Coming up this Wednesday, the 14th of February, which of course is St Valentine's Day, um, and Friends of Burnley Gardens always have um, a special dinner on uh, St Valentine's Day. 
Now, this year is no exception, and their guest speaker is going to be John Patrick, talking about gardens of the Channel Islands. Uh, of course, John is well known to, um, to most of us. Now, uh, it's at Burnley College, of course, which is 500 Yarra Boulevard in Richmond. Uh, 5.30pm start uh, if you want to come for the dinner and you follow the signs to the sugar gum table in the gardens. 7.30 if you just want to come for the talk, you meet in uh, main building room 11. Uh, The cost, if you're coming for the meal and the talk, $25 for members of the friends group, $35 for non-members. If you're coming to the talk only, $10 for members, $20 for non-members. But... um, Oh, well, they say bookings are essential, so uh, maybe not so much for the talk but for the dinner. But you could always try uh, because you can leave a message. Their um, office number is 9035-6815 or um, you can email friends.burnley at gmail.com. And because it's Wednesday, um, yes, I'm sure they've, they've probably still got a few places left. So that number again... Nine zero three five six eight one five and leave a message, or you can email friends.burnley or lowercase at gmail.com. All right, uh, now Cloud Hill uh, Garden have been running a series of um, music concerts during the, uh, the summer up there in their wonderful green uh, sound shell auditorium. And uh, coming up next Saturday, the 17th, is uh, the last of this series. Now, this is going to be a very interesting um, twilight recital. It's music from the Senegalese uh, griot tradition. Now, uh, griot means uh, hereditary musician family, and uh, the musician who's going to be presenting is Jali Buba uh, Kiyata, and uh, he has been he has come from one of these. Uh, these griot families where he has played the chorus since the age of five. So um, that should be a really, really interesting night. As I said, next Saturday, uh, it is a twilight one. You do need to book. And uh, to book, you go to uh, cloudhill.com.au or for further information, you can phone 9751-1009. And, of course, Cloud Hill is 89 Alinda Mombok Road up at Alinda. Uh, just uh, a few more I should get through. Um, coming up, being run by uh, Open Gardens Victoria, is a, a day of touring Melbourne food gardens. Uh, now, uh, <clears throat> it's uh, the whole day tour is in partnership with the 2018 Urban Agriculture Forum and Victoria's Sustainable Living Festival. Uh, it's being run by um, our good friend Karen Sutherland from Edible Eden Design. She's leading the tour, <coughs> providing home gardeners an insight into the many aspects and challenges of food growing and production in the urban environment. Now, the tour starts at William Anglis Institute in the city. Karen will discuss the model productive garden she's designed there to teach students how to grow, harvest and use uh, a variety of plants in their catering. Then the tour will visit Fair Share in Abbotsford to see how this voluntary organisation grows and collects fresh food. Um, Next, uh, participants will explore community gardens in Brunswick and see firsthand the food forest 
of a vibrant and very active local community of gardeners. Uh, a visit to Days Walk Farm will show how young people are training to become food farmers. And uh, the final stop will be Karen's own uh, garden, Gunya, um, where, of course, she's got lots and lots of uh, food plants growing. Uh, each destination in the Urban Agriculture Network will benefit from the tour as Open Gardens Victoria will be making a financial contribution to each of the gardens. Now, the tour commences at 9am at William Anglis, uh, which is in Latrobe Street in Melbourne, and returns to William Angus, Anglis at 5.30 in the afternoon. Morning and afternoon tea will be provided. Lunch is BYO. Now, tickets are $150. They can be booked via Try Booking. You simply go to opengardensvictoria.org.au and follow the prompts. Now, um, this is all, uh, let me see, taking place Saturday, 17th of February. So that's next Saturday. So if you're intending to go, um, you need to jump onto that <coughs> website, um, opengardensvictoria.org.au and, uh, and sign up for that one. Now, a couple of flower shows coming up. Uh, these are both on the 24th and 25th of February. Firstly, the State Dahlia Show uh, will be taking place down at the Mount Waverley uh, Community Centre. Well, they're calling it the Mount Waverley Youth Centre, and it's 43 Miller Crescent. I think the Mount Waverley Community Centre is 47 Miller Crescent from memory. But anyway, it's the Mount Waverley Youth Centre, 43 Miller Crescent in Mount Waverley. It's still opposite the Mount Waverley Railway Station. Admission is $5. Pensioners are $2. Children are free. There'll be fabulous displays of dahlias, cut flower sales, plant sales, Devonshire teas, kids' corner with activities involving dahlias, photographic exhibits and um, expert dahlia growers on hand to give advice. Now, also that same weekend, you have the Melbourne Begonia Society having their show on and this will be at the NG Wishart Senior Citizens Hall. It's at 964 Nepean Highway in Moorabbin. Melway's reference there is 77D6. Um, on the Saturday, the 24th, 10 till 4. On the Sunday, 10 till 3. Display and sales of begonias. Many varieties only available at the show. Entry is $3. Devonshire tea and sausage sizzle available. I think both those shows are really good value because you can buy things there that you just don't see elsewhere. Absolutely. And I love dahlias. Mm. I know they're considered mm. to be a bit naff, but you can get particularly bred in New Zealand. Mm. There are some just wonderful ones mm. that are available and I like those really dark leafed ones. Yeah, I've got Bishop of Lander for my garden. Oh, and, it, and it flowered way early this year. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Extremely yes. early. I was very surprised. But Usually got, they're just coming into their own now. But I've I'm talking got things two in flower ago. now that are autumn flowering. Yeah. They're starting. Yeah, 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 so the, everything does seem to me to be a bit early this year. It's a bit out, yeah. Mm. Yep. But the other thing is that these um these particular um uh, individualised plant societies. I mean, they're, they're run by people that are so enthusiastic mm. and such experts in their fields mm. that if you want advice, any sort of advice on growing, mm. propagating, that's the place to go. Yes, you usually can get things cheaper and you get things that you just don't see in the, in the ordinary retail nurseries. Exactly. Mm. So, yes, they're wonderful. Okay, um, we might open up our talkback lines. Um, 
If you'd like to join us this morning, we'd love to hear from you. The number is 94190155 to speak to the team on air. Or if you'd like to, uh, um, yes, 94190155 and uh, we'd love to hear from you this morning. Uh, whether you've got a gardening question, whether you want to make a comment on what we're talking about, um, do give us a call. <coughs> This morning in the studio, we have Virginia Haywood, of course, who is um, oh, has the most wonderful garden, which she keeps opening up and doesn't know how to say no to people going through her garden. <laughs> this is true, but I've got very, very good in that I say, well, it's a bit of a mess, but you're welcome to come through. That <laughs> Definitely the best answer. I don't have to weed, <laughs> yes. weed, weed, weed. We trim, also, trim, trim. We also have Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm in Clombernane. So if you've got any questions about roses... He's your man. And, of course, we also have James Beatty, who's a horticulturalist, used to be a researcher with uh, ABC Gardening Australia and um, doing all sorts of amazing things at the moment, James. Yeah, yeah, very busy at the moment. Okay. Do you want to tell us about any project you've got on hand? Oh, I'm doing a lot of... um, I'm doing a lot of... uh Garden garden redesign, probably best described as kind of plantscape redesign. I seem to have carved out a bit of a niche for myself um, with my business uh, where people have spent quite a bit of money on hard landscaping in their in their yards, but the horticulture has been letting it down severely. Mm, yes. And and I seem to be, oh, well, my modus operandi is to walk in and look at the garden and say, well, we're going to have to rip everything out and start again. Right. And, then, and then just throw some ideas at the client and they go, yeah, great. Sounds really good. <laughs> <laughs> but it's amazing to me that people would spend even up to $100,000 on a landscape in their backyard. And, you know, we're talking in the well-heeled suburbs here. Yeah. And then they've, they've, either, they've either got someone to do the horticulture who hasn't been great at it or they've tried to cheap out on it after spending so much on a landscape. And I think you might be right in that it, case. It hasn't turned out yes. very well, yeah. yeah. But and I think also a lot of the people who do hard landscaping mm. are often got really good knowledge and vision in that sphere but are not plants people. Yeah, true, true. And, and, a, and a couple of the gardens I've taken on as well, it's definitely more of a case of now that the garden is maturing and there are a lot more shaded areas than there used to be so yeah, the so original plantings change. are no mm. longer appropriate mm. and and so there's a lot of there's a lot of that going on which i which i really love because i don't have to break my back digging footings to build a brick wall <laughs> well at just... least they've got it round the right way that's right you exactly know if right. you've got the hard landscaping in there it's in there yep. and yep. hopefully they've organized water issues drainage mm. issues mm. all of that is sorted yep. so um and it's just it's time to come in and you have play to fund with, play with plants you essentially have the fun I do bit. I have the best bit out of anyone involved in <laughs> any of right. those gardens it's great but see that's exactly what's happened with my garden mm. because I've been there I don't know 12 14 years now gosh is it yep. that long yeah yeah heavens and so all those trees I planted mm. are now you know 10 15 foot up mm-hmm. so all the the lower planting that I put in just to fill the place up and yep. make it planted is becoming inappropriate mm. because it's uh, at last I'm beginning to buy woodland plants. I've yeah, been wanting to do this. It's exciting. For years. It's yes. an exciting time. It really is. You know, and uh, and I'm beginning to be able to do it. I mm. am on top of the hill. I'll never be able to buy woodlandy woodland plants mm-hmm. because you know I'm on a ridge. Yes, and all the water runs away. Right. <clears throat> but but I can buy shade plants now, which is just something I could not do originally. Mm. Mm. And that really makes a difference. I'm really excited what, about what it. What sort of colours do, do you find are, are really um, 
ongoing and, and everlasting. You know, we go through roses with white and white and white. But how do you how do you handle that, um, James? Well. You mean in terms of the rolling fashions of colours and yes, things that people yeah. are appealing to people at the moment? I, I find a lot of a lot of cool a lot of cool coloured borders and things like the purples and the blues, um, kind of punctuated with yellows, are pretty popular yes. at the moment. Ornamental grasses are huge at the moment. I've got a lot of clients showing me pictures of um, a lot of plantings that have been done. Um, in the city, I can't remember the name of the garden, but Paul Bangay designed it. It's the one in the in the domain. Um, the name escapes me, I'm afraid. But um, a client showed me a picture of that, and and you know, billowing grasses, lots of texture, um, um, stuff that's reaching its zenith towards the end of summer as well. People are planting more for autumn now. Mm-hmm. And people aren't mm-hmm. obsessed with spring anymore. I okay. think that's good. Um, yeah. Mm. So there's more of a spread of plants like that. Mm. But those and, – and we were talking about the burgundy foliage daily as before. Anything with burgundy foliage seems to be pretty popular mm-hmm. at the moment as well, mm. I'm finding. Um, but I'm, I'm very lucky in that the clients that I take on are very willing to, to sit down and listen to my advice mm-hmm. about, you know, how yeah. we might mix up a colour scheme and make it a bit more punchy and mm. – because um, purples and greys go really well together mm-hmm. as well to bring mm-hmm. a bit of to bring a bit of contrast in. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, I find orange a really a really polarizing one. People mm-hmm. either really love it or they don't mm-hmm. want it anywhere near their garden. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But some of the real softer oranges can go quite mm-hmm. well with orange roses are, are really still in. Yeah, have been in for the last five years. Okay, okay, yeah. there you go. But you're right with customers; mm-hmm. they're definite people mm-hmm. who come for that definite colour. Yep, they've got a picture in their head yeah, and that's yeah, what they want. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And isn't it great that people can put things up on a mobile phone and show you, hey, this is what I want or that's right. like this. Or yeah. That's really good. And making suggestions to those people as well, yes. being able to show them photos instantly and say, mm-hmm. well, look, I was thinking this and we could put that there yes. and there. So yes. it's it's much better. Mm. It's, it's a much better way of sharing that horticultural knowledge with people who might not necessarily have such an encyclopedic knowledge as, mm-hmm. as you or me, you know, mm. but, um, mm. but, you know, suggesting a plant and then being able to show a picture of mm. it straight away. Really? Really good. It's really, yeah. really helpful. Mm. Yeah. And 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 the landscape, do you find, is a very subtle, um, relaxing thing that in some ways we take for granted. Mm. But when we've got what I call screenitis, mm-hmm. um, people then want to relax their eye and then they look out for inspiration, say, out of windows. Yeah. Um, and windows in a house, I think, are very important. Yeah. To agreed. See out of the garden. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, that, so there's that 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 part of our actual being it's hard to describe mm. yeah it's important i reckon it's really yes. important and yes. there have been studies that show that in an office environment as well if if there's just if there's just a bit of greenery outside mm-hmm. a window it increases not only you know a worker's well-being but productivity as well yes. um mm. you know if you're happy in your workplace and you've got a nice little garden or green area or even a tree or a shrub to look at mm-hmm. It makes a big effect on mm. on your work, mm. Um, and mm. and that goes for all walks of life. Mm. Maybe it goes back to all the basics of very primitive life. Oh, we weren't meant to live in concrete jungles. No, that's for sure. No, that's <laughs> that's that's a very interesting point. Mm. And developers love concrete jungles, they do, don't they? Absolutely. Get it in, get it up, and get mm. your dough back. Mm. Well, what worries me is that we're so prepared to actually put um, wind tunnels in. Mm-hmm. You know, not think about the consequence of, yes. of mm. height. Mm. Or, or even with, like you were talking before, with windbreaks. Yes. If you don't yes. design them properly, you end up with a wind tunnel. Mm. 
if they're mm. too thick, you, you can make the, you know, like those really thick pine ones and mm-hmm. just make the wind shoot over the top yes. and come down the and other come side. come down the other side them. and make yeah. it worse mm. than it was mm. before. Yeah. 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 <laughs> there is an art to windbreaks, I agree. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Graham, let's get on to roses. You've brought in a couple this morning. Pam, I brought in a, a one rose which is called Red Intuition. Right. And it was uh, bred by the Delbards in um, France. Yes. And it came into Australia and um, it actually came to Queensland first off. And um, it was one of those roses that was was um, discovered, if you like. And um, it was discovered in Queensland and then the Delbards released it in Australia and um, it's won uh, numerous awards as a cut flower, and I could describe it as a as a mid red, with um, um, striping. James, you might be able to describe it more of a uh, as a colouring. It is. Um, it's a very delicate striping, mm, though, isn't it? Mm, it is. It is. Mm. And there's a, it's the pink red rather than an orange red. Mm. Mm. And one of those roses when you see it, especially when it's in its bud. Um, nip it off and pop it in a vase and bring it inside and experience it. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, it, it's it's very different. It is different. absolutely. Yeah. I was I was kind of surreptitiously smelling it before because I yes. thought it, I thought it might have had a scent to it because it reminded me of the 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 I don't know what would you call the patterning on the leaf the modelling or the or the striping on the yes. leaf reminded me of um, sentimental right which has a which has a beautiful perfume to it mm-hmm. but this one not not so much mm. but they but they kind of look similar yes. um, but the colouring on it's really beautiful yeah. and it's a gorgeous wee rose too mm. it's really really nice mm. it'd look great in a vase mm-hmm. um, they describe it as also a, a plant that will have a good display of blooms consistently mm-hmm. which is really good um, when you when you get in between, say, spring and, and summer, mm-hmm. um, we find in, in our plantings, in, in, our, in our garden, that um, it consistently comes up with plenty of flowers all the way through. Yeah, right. That's so, handy. Mm. And oftentimes people love to have this rose, even to put in a vase in church arrangements. In uh, They put up, you know, around the altar area and that right. sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Mm. So discovered in Queensland. So it yeah. was just like a chance... A chance seedling that popped up, mm-hmm. or yeah, right. Mm. right. Well, there were, there were, they bring roses in from overseas, and of course they bring in heaps. Well, when I say heaps, in a couple of dozen lots, mm-hmm. because it's cheaper to do it that way. Mm-hmm. And um, this was one that was discovered in amongst the, the, the those varieties, right? But twenty to thirty percent of roses in the world that are released are actually sports or flukes. Yes, mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So. Um, Anyway, it's just got a little a good background, but it has won awards for its ability to flower, which is um, a great thing, and it has nice long stems. Okay. Alternative okay. for Valentine's Day, not not your nor- normal red, 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 red. Yep. This one's a slightly variegated. Red. Okay. How yeah. tall would it get eventually? Oh, about about a meter. Okay. Mm. Yep. Good. Nice and compact. Hmm. Yep. Now you've got also got coming up a, an art and roses. Tour. I was waiting for you to ask me, Pam. Yeah, well, I'm asking you now. <laughs> Tell us. The Art and Roses is on on the 14th of 14th and 15th of April, and it's to be held at the Memorial Hall in Kilmore, which is in the main street of Kilmore, and it's supported by the Rotary Club of Mitchell. And the Rotary Club of Mitchell uh, were the people who um, gave tremendous support and inspiration to um, Moira Kelly. Moira Kelly um, developed. Um, a home in Kilmore for people who had deformities mm-hmm. and um, organised for a lot of different operations for these people. And 
the Rotary Club of, of um, Mitchell also are um, people who have really backed Blazade. And um, Blazade had its beginnings with the disastrous fires back about, what was it, nine years ago now, um, that started around the Kilmore area. And, was that nine uh, years ago? Yeah, wow. Yes. Yeah, time goes, mm. doesn't it? Mm. And, of course, Blazade now are extensively um, operating throughout the whole of Australia. And they have depots, and they're not only working with bushfires; they're also working with flood areas, any disaster areas. So the funds from the Art and Roses um, go towards um, the activities of the Rotary Club of Southern Mitchell, which is pr- principally uh, um, headquarters at Kilmore. And as part of that, there's an expo of art that comes from the local area, and people can also come to uh, Silky's Rose Farm for um, some. Um, walk around the gardens and um, a walk and talk and there's also a garden available for people to tour around in in Kilmore so that's on the 14th and the 15th of April if people are coming up Kilmore way okay okay yes and and bus tours welcome yes bus tours are welcome they need to let us know if they're organising a bus tour so we can make sure that, uh, that people are looked after. Yes, yeah, sure. Uh, for morning and afternoon tea and, and yep. uh, things like that. Yep. Kil- Excellent. Kilmore's such a lovely town. It is, isn't yes. it? Mm. Yeah. Yes. Supposedly the oldest inland town in Australia. Is it? Really? Yeah. Mm. Good heavens. And of How course, can that be? Because we didn't get settled till the 1830s. Mm. Yeah, well, we're just old at Kilmore. <laughs> <laughs> How has Kilmore flourished or otherwise since the highway bypassed? Hasn't happened. Hasn't happened? No. That's been a point of absolute frustration. Right. And, um, what, what because biggest, people are still driving through the town? Yep. And we, we our, our biggest challenge is trucks. Yes, right. And like, I mean, big fellas. Mm. Okay. Big fellas. Yep. And we get weekly a pig truck comes through Kilmore. Okay. And everybody knows it's been. They can tell for the next five hours. <laughs> Talk it's about called smell more for the next five hours. under though. stress. My, my goodness. But it's interesting. The town hasn't really sort of kicked on. It's a town that's, that's um, the, the, the population ebbs and flows because we're 60Ks from Melbourne. Yes. And um, uh, people, you know, have to go to work and pick up all the shopping on the way home, usually down in Melbourne. Oh. And so poor old Kilmore tends to miss out a bit. Right. But there's some good cafes there. They've just opened a cafe at the old jail. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, which is really good. It's an old jail. It's, it was a jail that, that um, uh, Ned Kelly's father was was believed to have spent um, three or four uh, uh, years in. Okay. Um, and, of course, it was a jail in between the gold fields of Bendigo um, and Melbourne. Mm. Yes, and, right. You know, when they... They'd uh, catch all the crims and people that might threaten the gold um, being transported with Cobb and Cope from, yes. from the gold fields down to Melbourne. Yep. Um, we've got to have a place to lock them up in. And it's a big bluestone building uh, with a lot of real history. Yes. Mm. Yeah. That's one of the things that's nice about Kilmore, that <laughs> mm. it has got those it's, old mm. buildings. Yes, and mm. it's an extensive use of bluestone, mm. which is and wonderful. And at that jail, there, there is actually a cafe set up and the people in the cafe are doing a real good job. Okay. I remember as a child we used to have to drive over Pretty Sally. Mm -hmm. And Mm. I I can remember going over Pretty Sally as a Mm. child and there being terrible storms and it being scary. Mm. Yeah. It used to be a road with one of the high accident rates in in, 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 in Australia. Yes. Mm. But now the Hume Freeways come through, that's made a (laughs) tremendous difference. Yeah. Yeah. 
It always used to be that it was sunnier once you got over Pretty Sally. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was exactly. warmer. It was suddenly instantly warmer <laughs> yeah. and sunnier. Yeah. Yes, because yeah. yeah, my grandma lived in Seymour. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. And people famously used to come there for the Kilmore pies. Okay. And, and the bakeries in Kilmore had had these really good pies. Okay. And they're still there. They've still got some really good pies in Kilmore, like a, a big range and variety. Okay. And great sourdough bread too. Mm. Yeah. Getting hungry. (laughs) Just thinking of all those things that I've forsworn. (laughs) Just a little bit each time. (laughs) Okay, Virginia, you've brought in some plants this morning. Let's have a chat. I have. I've brought in, well, I've I've done what James was talking about. I have got red and grey. I've got a a Bugox gloss here, a Brunnera, and it's a very silvery leaf and with... um, Highly patterned. Highly patterned. It looks fantastic, Virginia. It it is. Mm. It's gorgeous, isn't it? And they are originally, these plants are originally from Siberia, so they've struggled a bit. But this one is a sport that was discovered in in the Netherlands, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, something like that. And it's got a much thicker leaf, Mm -hmm. and they're much, much hardier to the heat than they Mm -hmm. used to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've got this really... um, I've planted things too close to the path at times that are too big. No. And so, yes, I know. Can you imagine that I'd make a mistake like that? Why do I have to walk around it when I go up that path? And I've got, well, I've, I had the, I've got this amazing camellia with the largest flower you've ever seen. I've had to move the path because of it. But I've got this loripetalum, which has just got too big. Everything gets too big in my soil. It's that red clay. You know, they just get much bigger than anybody else's. So I've decided to cloud prune it to make it less heavy. Okay. So you can now see through it. And I'm mm. going to plant this brunnera underneath it. Mm. Virginia, how do you cloud prune things? Well, you make you make holes in the plant. Basically, it's nothing fancy. You make holes in the plant yeah. so that your branches look like a cloud. Mm. So I had this very very thick loripetalum, and loripetalum it's the fringe flower from China, and it mm. has little pink flowers that are like tiny little finger fingers mm-hmm. sticking out for people who are trying. I can't think if it's got a a fringe flower, Chinese fringe flower, they call it as okay. well, and it's got very, very, very dark leaf. Not as, um, not really um, black, but mm-hmm. very dark leaf. So if I prune holes in it, so when you walk past it, you look through and you can see the soil. I'm putting the brunera on the soil because it, because it's got such a dark leaf and it's so close to the path, it was too heavy. Mm-hmm. So by cloud pruning it, I just lighten the whole oh, yeah. the whole Good. thing, mm-hmm. and and it also gives me. <coughs> somewhere to plant shade plants. Mm-hmm. And I'm rather keen on planting shade plants because I've had no shade. <laughs> so, so I think it's going to be lovely. I really lo- And it has lovely um, bluey flowers. Mm. They're gorgeous little yeah, flowers, like, little forget-me-nots or yes, something. Yeah, yeah they call oh, it right. the, the false forget-me-not mm. or ox tongue because of the shape mm. of the leaf because uh, it's a very quite a large heart-shaped leaf, isn't mm. it? It's gorgeous, it, yeah. And so I'm, I'm rather looking forward to that. And I, I've got lots of very dark-leafed. I've got the Bishop of Landau. Mm-hmm. And, and this other plant I've brought in is, a, is actually a, a hibiscus. Um, it's a, originally from Africa, and it was taken to South America in the 1800s, they think probably as food for, um, that was taken over by slaves. Mm. Okay. Um, and now it's grown much more in Brazil. It's particularly it's grown as a crop, food crop in Brazil. Right. But it's a hibiscus, and it's only small. It's called 
Acetocella Little Zin is its name. And I've bought it. I don't know how it's going to survive because it's a slightly tropical plant. Mm. But the frost does roll off my hill, so I'm hoping it'll survive. They grow it in Britain and places like that as an annual. And it's got that hibiscusy leaf, but it's small. It's not a tree like the other hibiscus I've just put in, which is an Australian hibiscus, and it'll get to 30 feet oh, get mm. easily. Yeah. And it's got a, a, a pale pink flower, which is the size of my hand, or actually the size of somebody bigger than me's mm. hand. It's absolutely stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is, this is going to have a pinky red flower. And it's got that really, really crimsony leaf. There's a lot of it now. You know, you've got that, that new um, crepe myrtle. Mm-hmm. What's it called? Diamond in the Dark or something like that. And it's got the almost black leaf. Mm. Yes. With either pale pink or really red flowers. And I, I'm enjoying all these really dark leaf plants that mm. are coming in. So I think that the the silver of, of the Brunnera... <coughs> you, you need that contrast to really bring out both plants, yes, don't you? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, mm. so, so greys, so lime greens all look wonderful with mm. a dark foliage. Mm. Yes. And I, vi- I visited um, Heronswood last weekend um, and one of the best plant combinations I saw was one of the darker-leaved dahlias and planted in front of it was one of the lime green oregano cultivars. Oh, yes. And the lime green and the dark foliage together just yes. made me go, wow, <laughs> yes. that's a great combo. It is. Well, the mm. perennial border at the Botanic Gardens at the moment mm. is looking absolutely fabulous. Mm. And he's got the, the gardener who does that garden, he's got lots of that really dark leaf dahlia. Some mm. of, he's got one with a really yellow, yellow flower. Mm. And he's got one very like the bishop. I don't know if it is the bishop. Mm. And they just look. Fabulous with mm. those contrasts. Mm. If people are around the Botanic Gardens, it's really good to go and have a look at the perennial border it's at the moment. It's gorgeous. My favourite part of the garden, it I is think, wonderful. hands down, especially mm. this time of year. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yep. It's just marvellous. Okay, let's go to our first caller. We have Julie in Canterbury. Good morning, Julie. Oh, good morning. Um, I just have a question. I think they're case moths that attack the calistamins and they come every year. They're a big, ugly caterpillar. <laughs> with a head. <laughs> right. Um, and I just wondered if there's anything you can do before they arrive to sort of put them off. Or, you know, do they come up out of the ground or are they... You, you never usually see them in great quantities. Do you have lots of them in your place? No, no, but they were stripping um, last year, about February, March, I think it was, they were stripping the calistamins like bear. Bear? <laughs> really? So I was... So I've never I was, heard of them being I think, a problem. I, well, I think they're case moths. They're big... They're big sort of ugly caterpillars with a with a definite head on them. But do but you ever see the cases? Oh, hang on. No, it's not a case moth then. Um, you would see the cases It's hanging. something else then. It's like they come in, in... Oh, I should have done some more looking up before <laughs> I ran <laughs> <laughs> um, But, Julie, the fact is, if we want to have butterflies and moths... We need to have caterpillars. I, I understand that, but I'm, I just don't want bare stems, you see. And right. one year someone rang up and said like a whole length of calistamins had been... Stripped. Um, yes. Stripped. And I just thought if there's something you can do around the base of it, if they come up from the base. But now I've, I think I've confused the name of the caterpillar. Mm. It, it doesn't matter. Somebody might ring in and have some advice. I, my, except for the, um, the white moth... 
which no, is that, an introduced yeah. pest, yeah. I tend to just, if they get really bad, just pick them off. Oh, I do. Well, mm. that's, that's what I was hoping to avoid <laughs> <laughs> because I spent a lot of time out there... Um, picking them off. Picking them off and sort of having a very squinted focus for a long time um, yeah. because they've... You know, you've got to get your eye in, so to speak. Yes, and uh, you could always, when they're just new, when they're mm. baby fat caterpillars, you could spray them. But, of course, yeah. as soon as you start no, spraying, spray. you start killing other things. Yeah, yeah no, right. I don't well, spray. But, but they're not, I didn't see any small ones. They seem to be quite large. They just arrive large. Yeah. You could, you could check using Dipel, which is a fungus that the caterpillar um, has a reaction to, um, I have a problem with the ornamental grapevine, and, and we get that wander butterflies come on that, and I don't want to knock them off, but no. I also want to keep the ornamental grapevine. Mm. So I do some part spraying on there to keep keep the caterpillars down. It doesn't kill them all, and I still get the moths, get the butterflies. Yeah. Um, so it might be worth investigating using dye pelt. I will, and I'm sorry I've confused the name of the caterpillar. That's that okay. <laughs> okay, well, We're used you. to that. We're used to confusing things. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I'm probably um, doomed to picking them off. I just thought there might be there might be something that could um, get, get them if they came up. Not really. Environmentally, place. picking them off is, is the best yeah. option. Mm. They yeah. take a long time to drown, I tell you. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> no, go and buy some um, chooks. Oh, no, no thanks, Virginia. <laughs> but thank you anyway. Okay, just, just okay. keep an eye on it because if they're coming back each year, maybe you're just missing them while they're, while they're small and yeah. you're not actually looking to see them until, until you notice them because they've got bigger and maybe you can, you can get onto it a bit earlier next yeah. time. Okay, all right. Well, thank you. Okay, bye. bye. I have exactly a similar problem. The other plant that I've just bought is a Cleanthus, the kakabeek or um, parrot's beak. It's a New Zealand plant and it's absolutely beautiful. And I've raised it from seed. Mm. I've put it in as a small plant. This time I've bought a big one. <laughs> it must be, how big's that? A foot and a half. Mm. So, I, you know, I've got quite a big one because I cannot, I cannot win the battle with the snails. Right. You would think that's not hard. Mm. I have never lost a plant so regularly to snails. It's all through the botanic garden, through the New Zealand bed. Mm-hmm. And Kate, who does the New Zealand bed, when I say, don't you have snail problems? She just looks at me. But it just, it can disappear overnight. Mm. So I've been, I've been crushing, keeping eggshells for, for a month right. in preparation for planting this thing. Yep. It's absolutely beautiful. It has beautiful... Um, very strong pink flowers in spring that are just like a, a parrot's beak. Mm-hmm. It's really, it, and its proper name is Cleanthus, and Sturt's Desert Pea was first called a Cleanthus. Right. Oh, right. They're in the same family, and it's the same sort of look as the Desert Pea, okay. except it's pink rather than red. It's a really beautiful thing. Mm. But I cannot how, beat the snail. Did you how beat, would you beat be? at all? Or? Hmm? You tried beer traps? I've, I've tried, you name it, I've yeah, tried it. Tried and I don't, I, I have seen too many dogs get into snail bait. Yeah, yeah. How would you be trying, uh, normally you'd do it round pots, but how would you be round the trunk putting some copper tape? Hmm. 
It'd be worth a try, wouldn't it? Because they're coming up from the ground. Ground, they are. Yeah, so if you just... I wonder if you could put put copper tape on the ground itself. No, you can't stick it down. But if you just put it... But I could also put a pot around the plant and put copper tape on the inside and the outside Mm. of the plant. Absolutely, but they'll go into the inside of the pot because it's cool and shady. Mm. I would still be putting the copper tape... And and just replacing it as the, as the trunk grows a bit, mm-hmm. but I've had enormous success with copper tape, with pots. I've literally watched a snail <laughs> Turn around. going round and round, <laughs> but just will not cross that copper tape. Yeah, right, right. You know, and that was and of course now that it's bigger. Mm. The leaves are off the ground. You know, when I had seedlings or when I had really small... That's right. Mm. That's right. But you've got that opportunity mm. and that's that's the way I would be approaching it. Because mm. it's extraordinary. I mean, you know, the whole garden. Mm. There's a huge garden there. Mm. You yep. know, three acres of garden. Every snail in the garden congregates to the Cleanthus. Yep. We've had the weather, this weather that we've had this year. The snails are everywhere. We've had problems yeah, they've gone crazy. with, with that's the tail in our garden. And they climb up on the branches... And they're little, little itsy bitsies and they're different types. That little snail is an Italian snail, apparently, and it's you particularly find it around vineyards. Yes, 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 I've got that little one. Mm. And one of the somebody from one of the vineyards said to me, "Oh, you've got that Italian snail, Mm. Mm. (laughs) spaghetti snail." There's there's research being carried out with snails um, by the people who put out fair dinkum seaweed. Oh yes. Okay. Now, snails in cropping areas is a huge problem. Yes, I'm sure. Absolutely huge. And the snail bait was researched at the Melbourne University and the snail bait, uh, dogs and cats and other animals won't take it up. So if people want to do some research... I, I do not believe it. I have, I have seen people use snail bait that is safe for dogs mm. and mm. I've seen dogs rush to the vet and, mm. you know, forced to vomit mm. and blah. I mean, mm. if you have... Like my daughter's dog is a Kelpie, but she doesn't know she's a Kelpie. She behaves like a Labrador. Mm-hmm. She'll eat rat poison. She'll eat anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and mm. the snail baits that are supposedly safe are meant to be safe because they're unpleasant to the dog. But mm. if you've got a dog that's got a Labrador yes. mind, you'll eat it. <laughs> you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through until 9.15, our usual time slot. If you'd like to join us this morning... We've got uh, Virginia Haywood, Graham Sargent and James Beatty in the studio. We'd love to hear from you. That number is 94190155, 94190155. There is a wonderful message on our screen. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth of Seaford keeps possums away by using dog poo in the trees. Yes. Putting it on tree branches. Yes. I've heard of that before. Have you? Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I was going to say it would be a hard thing to train your dog to do, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you need a good tree climbing dog for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, don't, I don't really fancy having dog poo in all my trees. Well, if you get the little doggy bags that people use when they oh, yeah, no. and, and just park hang and them. Stuff. And just hang yeah. it, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. possibly. Yeah. That'd be a nice Because look, you'd still it? get the smell through the plastic bag. And it'd yeah. be a bit like Christmas, too. Oh, not quite. Tree, you know? <laughs> <laughs> the best thing I can think of for dog poo is worms. Yes, it's yes, a good place yes. to put it. Is the word that is intriguing though, but I can't see I can't see many people going for it. I suspect it would probably work as well though, yeah. but um, it'd probably keep you away from the tree too. Well, well it would. would. <laughs> possums would be terrorised by dogs. Like, yes, you know in their own. Yeah, that's own right. Process. That's right. So um, yeah. 
Okay. It sounds like a, actually a similar thing to what they do with biodynamics. Actually burn mm. a rabbit and then use the ash to keep rabbits away. Mm. Now, can you, could you imagine that working? I'm dubious and, about biodynamics yes, in yeah. general, really. Yeah. Well, like I certainly don't think burning a rabbit would make any difference things. to my rabbits. Mm. Mm. You've you really got to talk, talk to the people that are, that are using biodynamics and um, see see how effective it is. Mm. Yeah. I've, I've always been in two minds about that because I always think... I always think the reason why biodynamics works is because it's coupled with sound organic practice. Mm-hmm. If you extract the biodynamic preparations mm-hmm. from the organic practices, mm-hmm. I don't think it would be effective. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very it's a very hard conversation to have. I've had I've had several conversations with proponents of biodynamics about it, and mm-hmm. it's and it's hard to have a conversation that doesn't get their backs up about it because mm-hmm. I'm look I'm I'm a skeptical bastard I really am <laughs> and when it comes to something like biodynamics yeah. I just think it's it's magical thinking and it's pseudoscientific um and and I don't know it's a bit of a waste of time and resources in my in my opinion it is anyway um yeah it's a it's a funny thing you know it's it's kind of on the it's kind of on a par with Scientology, it was just kind of made up not that long ago and was written down in a book and, and then people have... And, and there's some really insidious sides to it as well. Mm-hmm. Like in America, in the wine-producing regions of California, mm-hmm. if you're not growing biodynamically, mm-hmm. you basically can't sell the grapes mm-hmm. that you're growing. So mm-hmm. it's it's kind of muscled in and, and blanketly covered that industry there mm-hmm. and has been has been a bit of a standover man with mm-hmm. people who have been in that, in that industry for generations mm-hmm. over there. Um, so yeah, well, I'm, look, I, look, I'm a I'm, bit. I'm right. still trying, uh, trialing uh, humus compost. I've got some magnificent humus compost mm-hmm. that I can roll up in a ball, right, like a cricket ball, and squeeze the the, the moisture out of it, mm-hmm. and um, and carry that out in a simple way. And I still I use 500 in the mix, right, and um, I'm I'm very impressed, and I've been able to produce. Uh, compost like that for about the last five or six years so you make it on site yourself mm-hmm. yeah. yeah how do you do that just make it in layers just, okay uh, you know i went through i went through the bust your back and kill yourself turning compost <laughs> over with it oh and I had to, a mate used to come and help me and we'd spend nearly a day turning over the compost heap. Mm-hmm. that's baloney yeah it really is baloney um if you're going to look at uh, anything that that happens in in the natural garden things come in layers mm. so i've just been laying it putting lucerne down straw down in the, in the heap then some manure on yep. and anything else um bokashi put mm. that in mm. um dead rabbits stick that in yeah right um and then put the 500 preparation on just spray it on and mix it up in a bucket mm-hmm. takes you 20 minutes to mix it up in a bucket mm-hmm. and um put the 500 over the top of the compost heap but you will never make good compost or good humus unless you keep the water up to it yeah agree yes. you will agree. never yeah. never and people let their <coughs> compost dry out and say mm. the damn stuff doesn't work but you've got to feed the microbes you, mm. it's a microbe. yes mm. if you let them yeah. die because it's got drought mm. conditions and if you go to europe and i was in the cattle country up in the alps for uh, for about three weeks one of the best holidays i've ever had it was a beautiful place and that where they have the cattle, they keep them in sheds because of the cold, and they have little conveyor belts in the floor, and the cow manure goes out the conveyor belt and goes up onto a heap. And all the farms in, 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 around in France that I went, they had these great, huge piles of um, cow manure, mm-hmm. and they said, what the hell do we do with it? It just sits there. Mm. So 
Steiner come along and said, hey, use some of these preparations so you can utilise that cow manure and put it back onto your paddocks. Put it on raw and it creates problems with, with um, noxious stuff in the grass that grows. Mm. So what Steiner did was introduce the, the microbes in, into the um, cow manure. And that was really what he was on about. Last year, I, one of my, I've got four compost bins, mm-hmm. and they're big, and I just filled one up just with horse poo, mm-hmm. nothing else, and then covered it, mm. and came back nine months later. Well, I mean, I walked past it over mm-hmm. that nine months, <laughs> but actually went into it nine months later, and it was just beautiful. It was mm-hmm. so full of worms, mm-hmm. so yeah. that every time I planted something, I used this because it was putting worms back into my garden. Mm-hmm. It was just fantastic. And now if I... I've just got a little bit of it left. If I dig into that, there's no worms. It's mm. too hot. It's too dry. They've gone back. They've gone back down deep into yeah. the soil. Mm-hmm. But it was just wonderful. So I mm. want to do the same. Well, but I've got to find somebody who's prepared to pick up the horse poo. <laughs> Fresh horse manure is, you know, it's 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 gold. It really is. Yeah, but you can't use else... it because it's got some. Well, no, seeds but you've got to you've got to you've got to compost it down like you mm. have. But yeah. it makes the best compost, doesn't it? It does mm. every time. Um, the government of New South Wales have been r- running research programs using uh, garbage, right, garbage, household garbage. They've, they've put out grants of $5 million over the next four years mm-hmm. and researching putting compost onto paddocks and um, utilising the compost to balance the soil balance mm-hmm. and eliminating up to 50% of weed problems. When, really? When you go... Simply because they've balanced up the soil. I'm yeah. surprised by yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I had but a guy. When, when I go to London, mm-hmm. you know, all my friends in London put out all their meat scraps, mm-hmm. bones, all their vegetable scraps every week. Mm-hmm. They have it collected by mm-hmm. the by the council. They've got like five bins. Yes, exactly. Yeah, we need together. Well, our our bin our. Our recycling is no longer going to be collected because the Chinese are saying we're sending them they rubbish. They don't want it Take anymore. It. Yeah. Yeah. Can you blame them? <laughs> <laughs> I had a guy come into, into the nursery, it would have been two years ago, and as I do on my sticky nose, I say to people, um, uh, what do you do for a job, mate? Mm-hmm. And this said, fellow said to me, he said, I work for the um, um, Department of Agriculture in Canberra. And I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm do- doing pH tests in, on soils all around Australia. Okay. And I said, how long have you been doing it? He said, three years. Mm-hmm. I said, and how's the pH in soils in Australia? He said, terrible. Mm. Well, it's because we're the oldest. We're the, we, our volcanic, volcanoes stopped earlier than anywhere yeah. else. So mm-hmm. everywhere else has, got, has had their soils yeah. much more recently filled mm-hmm. up than ours. Mm. We're the oldest weathered continent yes. on the yes. planet. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, what, what, what they're talking about in soils in Australia, they're saying up to 75% of fertilisers put, put on is locked up yes. because the because pH, pH is just yeah. balanced. Mm. Yeah. And that is a, an enormous cost mm. for any cropping enterprise that happens you know, just in any any farm area, mm. and if the pH is not right, we're back to basics. Mm. Then that fertilizer is, util, um, is useless, and of course, it ends up runoff in, into streams and mm. creeks and, and rivers. Rich. And mm. um, Julie has rung back and said that it is a sawfly. <laughs> of course, sawflies actually the eggs are on the leaves; they don't come up from the ground. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is. We're going back to picking off or poison. Because and and BT I know doesn't work on such on sore flies. flies. Dipel's mm. not BT though, is it? No, no. Which is one of the you know one of the natural mm. products. So mm. again, she needs to be observant 
earlier. Yes. I mean, if she can see the eggs, she can pick off the leaves. Yes. And if they're at the a- stage where they're defoliating whole plants, though... You're going to need the best of luck to pick them off to an extent where they're Yes, yes. it doesn't kill the plant, does it? Mm, no, it doesn't. Can you blast them off with a hose? Will they come back up under the plant again? Don't know. No. Callistamins don't mind a hard prune either. I wonder if, wonder if a hard pruning it would be a suggestion so the plants would be a bit smaller, so yes. it would be so a bit more manageable. Then they'll have new which young growth, which will be even more susceptible. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. so that's a, that's a problem. But anyway... Okay, um, we've also had uh, Lee from Dandenong wants to know, Virginia, when you're taking your next walk. Well, I'm doing a walk in two weeks. There was something else I wanted to mention about the Botanic Gardens too because next uh, Wednesday, the 14th, there is a talk about how the Botanic Gardens is dealing with um, global warming. Mm. Oh, right. And it's different plantings because of that mm. yes. on at Mueller Hall at lunchtime mm. and it's a free talk. Okay. So if anybody's interested... It'd be good to go next Wednesday. It might be an interesting time to go for a walk and also go to the talk at Mueller Hall. Mm. Mm. I'm doing a walk on the 21st of February, the 10.30 in the morning. I will leave from the visitor centre, so I'd love it if I had some 3CR people come along. I always like that. And, of course, the two people doing our phones are both guides from the Botanic Gardens, so we should ask them when their next walks are too (laughs) so that we can... um, Offer them up as good people to be take going for walks with. Yes, absolutely. Because I I did have a walk recently where I didn't have anybody from the public, but I had five people from Three CR. Right, which is fantastic. It was just lovely. It was such a good walk. You've got to get the revolutionary people on your side. Okay. We've also, uh, well, Mary's rung in to say that uh, she also thought uh, the caterpillar is the Callistamon sawfly and she sprayed with eco oil and eco neem. Uh, you have to drench the tree as they can survive in the wood. Okay. So there you go, and that's a nice organic uh, way to uh, to give it a go. But eco oil, you don't want to use on a really hot day. No, no. you certainly don't. <laughs> yes, not no, on a hot day. Nothing over twenty eight degrees. Mm. I'd yeah. do it even under that, and mm. early in the morning. Yeah. Yep. Mm. And not when it's going to rain either, because no. that'll wash it off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but eco oil and eco neem. So mm. there you go. That might be um, that might be a good thing for Julie to uh, to have a try. When Sylvie was little in. London, they all had knits because London's so crowded. All the, they all spread the knits amongst themselves and, and the knit solutions, the nasty ones, were just not working. Mm. So in my nursery, we reverted to neem oil. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah. And it worked. Yeah. It worked. Yeah, there you go. Good. Yeah. Neem oil and lots and lots of combing. Right. Yeah. Yes. Combing them out. Yeah. 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 Okay. Disgusting. One of the disgusting <laughs> things about children is knits. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a lot of disgusting things about children. Now, we also had uh, a query up there about um, oxalis. I was ignoring that. How to deal with creeping oxalis. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's a problem we've all got. Mm. It really is. I'm trying it's to learn. Just to... taking over the world. I'm trying to learn to like little yellow flowers. Mm. I keep thinking that if I was somewhere else, I'd probably think they were beautiful. I Mm. only hate them because Mm. I know what it is. It's Mm. oxalis and it's a weed in Australia, but... The only surefire way to do it is to is to just chip away at it bit by bit. But you've got to physically excavate it and get rid of the soil. But it's it doesn't work. It spreads it. it. People have found that that if you try and weed it at all, you're spreading mm, it. Um, so, so in fact, there was the opposite theory. I know Karen Sutherland's trying this to actually just blanket chop it. it. 
Well, no, no. She's chopping um, at the flower stage before it can go to seed, mm-hmm. um, not disturbing the soil at all mm-hmm. and just repeatedly doing that Trying to weaken to the plants. Mm-hmm. Yes. One of the most intriguing methods I've ever heard is, is and, and it's based on the theory of the way the plant itself grows in the ground, and it's got, it's got merit to it, but I've never tried it. Um, but one of the things that makes it, hard to get rid of and one of the things that makes it so easy to spread is that the taproot that the plant forms, the little bulbils form off that taproot. That's right. And past a certain stage in its flowering time, when you try and remove the whole plant, those bulbils break off extremely yes. easily. That's so, right. So trying to trying to get the plant out of the ground without breaking those bulbils off that's going to leave bits in the ground or even if you take them out, there's a chance that you're going to spread them elsewhere. Yep. Um, but one thing that the bulbils do, and even the mature bulbs do, is that they they basically pull themselves down into the ground um, to the extent that they'll get to a depth where they won't break through the soil and they'll actually die in the soil. So the theory is that you mulch them really heavily and then when they when they sprout through the mulch, you mulch them again. And then when they sprout through that mulch, you mulch them again. So the mature bulbs that are being pulled down into the soil are going to basically exhaust themselves and the the, the active parts of the plant are going to start um, forming those mature bulbs and the taproot in the mulch layer. And then at the end of the season, you scrape the mulch back and you, you basically get rid of the mulch. You, you bag it and throw it in the bin or you hot compost it to make sure it kills all the bits in it. No, you couldn't. You couldn't hot no, compost No, well, it. I agree, but it's... it's, it's you couldn't. It's, There's an absolutely no... I mean, that's not, it's not going to kill it. had yeah. oxalis in it, you can't take the risk. Yep. Mm. So the, so I, you, the, so the, the idea is you get those mature bulbs to the extent where they're, they're deep enough in the soil that they're going to follow that natural progression of them dying of their own accord because they've pulled themselves too deep into the soil. And the way the plant tries to survive that is to put all of its energy into growing into that mulch layer that you've put mm. on top, essentially. And then at the end of the season, you scrape it back and you take it away mm. um, I'll, I'll, I've, I've never tried will, it but I've been intrigued by it I'm going to try that this mm. year because I've got I, I have dug up I have dug up a whole bin's worth yeah right that's how much I've dug up and I've also I've in one of the garden beds where I've got it really badly I've got a really big pot that's sort of up to my waist and it doesn't have a hole in the bottom it collects water and mm. I've just thrown the oxalis in there drown it it is now almost full of oxalis and although the oxalis has drowned the whole of winter, it's come back at the Oh, jeez. You, yes. you can't drown it. Well, yes. talking about oxalis, I've, I've started a trial and started it last, in last spring. Mm-hmm. Right. At, at the display garden in the, in the Rose Cafe in Kilmore, which, which we don't own anymore. And um, I have a friend in, 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 in Queensland who said he's worked with oxalis and liming. 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 Okay. And he says it has to do with the pH of the soil. Mm. We've just been talking about that. But he said, you've got to be patient. Right. He said it'll take three or four years to get rid of it. Okay. But you yeah. can do it. So mm. you just you just lime the top just, of the soil? Just or? lime the general area. Right. Um, uh, and and um, try and alter the pH. Mm. And, and so anyway, that process is underway. How long have you been doing it? Uh, since, since spring. Okay. Last year. Like last year, right? So we'll have to put on lime every every spring and autumn. Mm-hmm. So you'll be one of the few people in Australia looking forward to your oxalis coming up this winter, just to see if you if you get if it's if it's working. <laughs> well, the rotten stuff I've noticed it in the garden yesterday, uh, about four days ago. 
I thought, oh, yes, you're still going yeah. big and strong. But we're dealing with a bulb. Mm. We're yes. dealing with a bulb. Mm. And and the whole thing is is intricately uh, tied up in the centre of the whole thing. It's almost like saying, yeah, yeah, you can't get me, you can't mm. get me. I'm all ro- rocked up in there yeah. in, 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 the whole, in the whole process. It's interesting, yeah. the lime thing, because our soils do tend to be very acidic. Mm. Mm. And the oxalis is very happy in our mm. soils. Mm. So maybe that I'll try both. Mm. I'll lime it and then mulch it. <laughs> but but the, the challenge we have, I, I find so often, even farmers give up on liming. Like, you know, we've done it two years and, oh, I don't know whether I've seen any real difference. But you've got to I, persist with it. Yes, you've got to persist. And this dear fellow came down to help out people with their gardens after the bushfires. And mind you, he's been down four times this fellow at his own expense until the Rotary Club d- decided to help him out mm. with the costs. And he's a pensioner. And he said the work that he's done up in Queensland with gardens, and he, he house-sits properties, you know. And he said, um, I've, I've really been encouraged about the pH in the soil with oxalis. Mm. So, okay, well, that's yeah. definitely worth a try. Mm. Mm. All right. Uh, next up we're going to go to Anne in Oak Park. Good morning, Anne. Oh, uh, good morning, panel. Um, some time ago, I bought a couple of nice tide ranges. They were blue and a blue and a yellow colour. I gave one to my sister, and now she tells me that it's got white spot on it. And I don't know whether it's been through overwatering or what. I want to know what, what she should put on it and how often. Could it be scale? Or could it I just... I don't know, dear. Or it could be mildew. Fungus, I was going to say, yeah. with the humidity that we've had, it's a high, yes. high chance. Yes, because yeah. mine have done it. And I think yeah. it's just that we've had such such a humid summer and they're not a plant that's used to humidity. They're a cold-weather plant. Mm. True. And I'm just ignoring mine, Anne. I think the best thing to do is just to wait till we get to autumn, prune them well, prune back to double buds, prune quite hard. And I think we'll find that it's just that we've had such an incredibly humid summer and they don't really like the humidity. Is it possible that she's been overwatering them? I don't think so because, I mean, well, that will, that's aggravated the humidity probably. Mm. But the plant itself likes, I mean, mine usually look terrible by this time of year, not because of, because of the um, spotting on them, but because they're too dry because I've only got tank water, so I'm pretty mean with the water. So I think it's probably not actually the overwatering because they like to have a lot of water. I think it's probably the humidity, and then the overwatering will make the humidity problem worse. Mm. Particularly if she's watering over the leaves. Yes. Rather than just onto the soil. Mm. Fungus has been really bad this year. Mm. Yes. It really is. In fact, it's the worst year I've known of in... In 32 years of growing roses. Yeah. And you can smell the spores in the air. <laughs> yes. Mm. At, at times, you can just smell them. Mm. So I think, Anne, the best thing is to not to water too much and to water underneath, but I would say that the best thing to do now is just to wait... Just leave it. ...till the autumn mm. and then prune quite hard because a hydrangea likes a hard prune anyway. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. All right. And look up how to prune because you, you only prune where there have been flowers. Mm-hmm. You prune... If you have a long flower bud, you prune that right down but they flower on second year wood so you don't prune into the the wood that has not had a flower because that will be next year's flower and get and get the right. old dead wood out mm. if yes. you can for sure 
Okay. Oh, okay, then. Thank you very much. Okay, bye. Bye. Uh, next up we have uh, Mike, who I presume is in Cottle's Bridge. Good morning, Mike. Oh, good morning. Um, hello to everybody in the crew. Yeah, I was um, going to move... I've got a couple of quite elderly staghorn ferns attached to an old potostrum, and I thought I'd move them up. They're sort of smothering the um, clivius and stuff from underneath. They don't move. They've joined onto the tree. Oh, really? And I was wondering how... Well, if I could move them, actually. I just want to raise them about a metre. As I said, you can't see the flowers and the clivias because the staghorns are sort of overshadowing them. Mm. Move the clivias. <laughs> be a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's probably the best solution, actually, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> clivias will move easily. Mm. Yes. Uh, okay, so it's um, leave them with them. I mean, they're very happy, obviously. Yes, yes they and, are. And, and that's yeah. the thing that's worrying, when you start interfering with something that's very happy. Mm. Yeah. Um, Question: How big's the tree? Is it going to keep going up? It's a, no, it won't. It's, it's very elderly and, and not very well, actually. I mean, everything loves it because it's a potostrum and it's leaking sort of um, all sorts of you know nice sugars and what have you. And um, <laughs> we, we get everything in there, you know, butterflies, bees, a whole lot from the weeping sap. So right. how long it will last is a good question. We've been here 30 years, but I mean, you know, no, it's just sort of just thought I'd try and raise Well, I have to say I'm not any expert in this field i've never moved a staghorn so i mean maybe it is worth having a go but it, but if everything's working quite well mm. i'd yes. be tempted to move the clivias because mm. they are easy to move yes 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 um, the other question i had have a pomegranate down in the vegetable garden um surrounded by rhubarb and it flowers beautifully but it doesn't set very much fruit I mean, I would have said I'd had 100 flowers this year and I've probably only got about three pomegranates that are, oh, wow. um, that are, that are forming. You have got two hungry plants mm, there. Mm. Rhubarb so is quite unhungry. I think yeah, maybe yeah, just yeah, feed them both. Just keep feeding them. And yeah. I think next year, yeah. um, just try and get quite a lot of poo onto them, you know, yep, cow okay, poo or yeah, something yeah, like that. Quite I, available, yeah. Because when you think about it, rhubarb's hungry. Oh, rhubarb's yeah. very hungry. Mm. Yeah. And... And any of your flower, uh, fruiting trees are fairly hungry. Mm. So I would suspect that what you need is just to give it a bit of a feed. Okay. And I'll, I grow grapes for a living. I would agree with your earlier speaker that it's been the worst mildew season I've ever seen. Yes. Yes. Mm. yes. I've got grapes and my grapes yeah. are struggling. It's so hard to control. Oh, it Every time you is. think you've got on top of it, we get another rain event and away you go again. Mm. Yes. Mm made it very tough. Yeah. Okay, thanks okay, for your advice. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. It's interesting. We talk about mildew. Um, our roseman uh, in, in South Africa says, give your plants more nitrogen. Mm. And I think that's worth trialling. <laughs> I'm not a real uh, nitrogen fan because it tends to force things, mm. but he... He said it, he believes the plant's really crying out for some nitrogen mm. and, and the mildew will form. So that would be worth just checking out and trying mm. that. Well, you wouldn't want to do that on a, on a productive plant mm. because all you're going to do is create a lot of leafy green mm. and you're not going to get fruit or flowers. Mm. Mm. I guess yeah. it would be a fine but, balance, uh, getting I, the dosage. I will yes, qualify it by saying give it a try. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. A, a bit but not too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I, I think... Um, I, I don't understand why nitrogen will stop. 
No, I, neither do I. No. But South Africa weather conditions and growing roses are very similar. Very to similar. Yes, yeah. of so, and this guy, this guy uh, Ludwig Tetchen, is probably considered to be the Mr. Ro- Mr. Rose of the Rose World. Mm. Anybody in world conferences who want the guy to speak, they'll get mm. Ludwig. You know. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, they won't be having any trouble in Cape Town at the moment, will they? No, they've got no water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, poor devils out. Oh, that be? yes, <laughs> exactly. Mm. Okay, uh, we'll no. go next to uh, Val, who's in Hampton. Good morning, Val. Good morning. Could I speak to Graham, please? Sure. Sure. Uh, Right, Graham. Hello. Hello. Oh, I've got. I just want some advice about some. I have three roses yes. in um, pots, which are about uh, twelve inches in, uh, in diameter. The pot I'm in, and I want to know uh, just the advice about keeping these uh, roses in healthy. Really, the first one is uh, uh, Link, uh, Lincoln. Mr. Lincoln. And, yes. Yeah, Mr. Lincoln. And uh, the second one is Pope Paul, uh, the white one, in, mm-hmm. uh, and the second or whatever, whoever he was. And the third one is in a standard in a pot. Right. Uh, the reason being, I know they should be in the ground, but uh, uh, that's uh, just not possible really at my time of life right. at the moment. But I can put them have them shifted near the uh, sunroom where I spend uh, quite a lot of my time and therefore when <laughs> Good. when they're, when necessary. So that yes. makes I can see out the sunroom and then there they are. Yes. Now, so should I, what I wanted to know really is uh, they've been in about two years, I suppose. Yes. Should I renew the soils, oh, party yes. and all that yes, sort of please. thing? Yes, please. In if fact, you if you want to, be successful, want to be successful, renew your soil every year. Every year? Yes, in pots. Yes, for sure. What what are the pots made out of? Uh, one one terracotta, and I yes. think the, t- the other two are plastic. Too. Okay, yeah. yeah, for sure. Change the soil over, and I, what I would do is is make sure when you do do you change your potting mix over, and make sure you've got about at least fifty percent compost in it. Mix it well through. I'm sorry, Hammer. About fifty percent to- compost. Right, yes, put the co- compost in. Yes. But I just, how much soil, do I, I wouldn't remove all the soil, would I, or would I? No, we, well, if you do take them out, you'll, you'll find there'll be a, an amount of soil will cling to the roots. Leave yes. that ge- oh, just generally there. Generally, t- more or less, tip, tip the, t- have, well, I'll get somebody to do it. Hmm. Tip out the soil yes. completely. Yes. Right. Tip but, it out onto a bag, right, and, yes. and, and then you can... Um, lift the pot back up again. Get rid of that soil. Pop it in your in your garden or your rubbish tin, yeah, yeah. and then come back again and put your, your your soil and what have you around the around the roots of the plant. What potting mix is yes. that? and yeah. trim back half the roots. Right in the in the winter, but yes. you could repot them now if you want to. Yes, well, I'd perhaps get, it would be the time to do it. Yes. Okay. Okay, and whatever you do. Give them a good feed with organic fertiliser about every two months. Two months. Because as well, because when you say organic fertiliser, what one of the ones you buy from the supermarket? Yeah, there's there's some really good Better Grow um, products that have come on the market. In fact, I've just been over their factory at Ballarat about um, three weeks ago, and yes. they've got a fantastic operation. They make some fantastic potting mixes, Better Grow. Yes. But you can just buy something in the supermarket. 
You know, one right. of the liquid feeds in the supermarkets, all you, you need mean to get it, 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 You're talking about a liquid uh, fertiliser, are you? Yes, yeah, so <laughs> you just put into your, into your watering can. Yeah. Right. All over the leaves. Right. Okay. Thanks very much. Okay. All right. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through until 9.15. If you'd like to uh, jump on the phones and give us a call at number 94190155. For those um, listeners who like coming to the Botanic Gardens for our walks, Carol, who is doing the outside line at the moment, she has a walk on Friday the 16th of February, so that's quite soon at 10.30. And Louise, who is also on the outside lines, has one on the 23rd of March. So do come to those walks with us. We Fantastic. Like that. Excellent. James, we haven't had a chance to talk about any of your plants yet. Let's oh, go. Oh, yeah. Where do I start, really? Yes. Um, <laughs> um, this is a plant that I've been using a lot in clients' gardens um, lately, and it's, it's closely related to uh, Boston ivy and Virginia creeper. Um, it's the silver vein creeper, Parthenocissus henriana, mm-hmm. and it's it's a really really useful plant. Um, it's nowhere near as vigorous as um, Virginia creeper or Boston ivy, right? And it will grow in total shade, very very nicely indeed. And one of the attractive things about growing it in total shade is that you get very prominent silver venation on the leaves that gives the plant its common name, the silver vein creeper. If you grow it in full sun, that tends to kind of bleed out and, and the leaf goes more of a mid-green and you don't get the, you don't get the nice um, highlight in the veins. Okay. Um, despite the fact that you would grow it in full shade as well, it colours up absolutely gorgeously in autumn. Um, so for covering the fence down the side of a house, between mm. houses, mm. Um, it's really good. It it doesn't grow like the clappers, like like the your Boston ivies or your yes. or your Virginia creepers. Um, so it's very easy to keep in check, even for the non gardening inclined. You really okay. you really do just have to trim it maybe once, maybe twice a year um, to keep it under control. Um, it's got a very interesting reverse to the leaf as well. Um, it's got a nice purple. Well, it's got a beautiful purple color to it. Um, so I've got it planted on my front veranda at our place. We've okay. got a, we've got a Californian bungalow. Yep. And one of the other redeeming characteristics of the plant as well is that it's it's very lightly self clinging, but it dangles down as well. It's mm. got this this beautiful dangliness to it. So when we sit on the veranda in the afternoon in the summer and this is dangling down, um, the leaves look purple with the sunlight coming through yes. them. So it's Lovely. it's a really really beautiful plant. Um, I've look. seen it planted. Literally, to dangle completely down and just shade a house. Right, on, on the west on the west wall. Yeah, lovely. And it's it, it's dangled down, <coughs> you know, like five foot. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. So yep. it's really successfully it shaded heat, a window. Takes the heat well. It does absolutely. Yeah, yeah. even if you're growing it in full sun, yeah. it'll it'll take it no worries. Just yeah. like Boston ivy and Virginia mm. creeper, just mm. just mm. as tough. Um, but yeah, for some reason the growth is a bit more. It's a lot more restrained mm-hmm. than the other two. Nowhere near as rampant. It's much. I think of it as a bit more refined and a bit more delicate than those oh. two, um, but it's it's kind of slowly gaining in popularity. You never used to see it that often in nurseries, but you are seeing it a lot now, which, which is good. It's 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 extremely useful. I've also um, seen it used as a ground cover. Yeah, right, right, because it's it's got the it's like Parthenocissus sicamensis or something. Yes. I guess it looks mm. more like that than it does Boston ivy or Virginia mm. creeper. Um, 
but yeah, look, one of my one of my favourite plants and one that I'm using a lot of at mm. the moment, and it's I've you know I've always loved it. It's delighting clients as well um, with how tough it is. Uh, yeah, Parthenocissus henriana, the silver vein creeper. Great. It's a cracker. It's an absolute cracker. And um, what else have I got here? I, I I brought in this today because I've 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 brought in a cultivar of globe thistle before, Echinops. Um, it's called. Um, and I've I've brought in Veach's Blue, which is another cultivar I grow. Yes. And I am just sick to bloody death of Veach's Blue because <laughs> it looks it looks really good when it starts flowering, and right. then it just flops about. It just it falls over everything, and it looks untidy. And okay. This cultivar is Echinops Blue Glow. The flowers are a bit larger than what you get on Veach's Blue. But unfortunately, it's nowhere near as floriferous as Veatch's no, Blue. That's right. So, but, how tall does that get normally? So, this would this would get to about sixty centimeters. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but with the the clump that I've got, it's three separate plants at the moment. It's got about a dozen flower heads on it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if that was three plants of Veatch's Blue, there'd be four dozen flower heads on mm-hmm. it. So, yes. so there's a big there's a big trade off. Um, but it's nice for a kind of structural form. It doesn't look like highlight. it's going to flop at all. No, well, the stem on that. Have a go. It's it's I mean, extremely upright. Yeah, <laughs> very upright. There's there's no way that that's going to blow over in the wind. Yes, um, and at I all. love the colour underneath the leaf. Yeah, the beautiful, it's very, very grey. It is gorgeous. underneath the leaf. silver grey. Gorgeous. So I think it's one of those things that I'm gonna I'm gonna be it's it's much slower growing than um, Veatch's Blue as well. So I've had these plants in for about three years now, and they're they're not they're not increasing in size very quickly at all. I do so. find I get a few seedlings from I th- I'm oh, not okay. sure I've which one which echinops I've got, right. but I do get some seedlings, yep. but not many. Yep. So not in a way that I'm worried about. Yeah, okay. And I love and I love to get a free flower. Yeah, <laughs> who doesn't? <laughs> I think I think they're lovely. Yeah, me too. I really like them. in In perennial plantings, they're they're a really great little curiosity, and they always people always ask about them. I've got them planted out front in my perennial beds. Of course, they're so clearly yes, they're clearly not a thistle, but yeah. they've got that same thistly mm. look. That's but right. But you need a bit of structure. In a bed, mm. and that's providing you with a perfect upright. Yeah, that's right, and it doesn't it doesn't flop around at all. Mm. So I'm looking at it, going, I wish you were as vigorous as Veach's Blue, but I'm just <laughs> going to have to find a little special spot for you. Yeah, <laughs> try a little bit of breeding. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Mm. That'd be interesting. Mm. You might come up with something really special, Dave. Mm. I'll have a go. There's a challenge. <laughs> I'm a very impatient gardener, though. I don't know. I don't know if I've got the patience for breeding, but. I would like to. I'd like to experiment, like playing God for a little bit. It'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's go to our next caller. We have um, Alice out in Brunswick. Good morning, Alice. Hi there. Um, you might have answered part of this question last week, and I only caught the tail end. But essentially, it's how do I get rid of um, weeds like cooch grass or other climbers when I can't locate the root of it? Um, and they're wrapping, I've got these two different weedy climbers and they're wrapping in my, around my climbing plants and kind of strangling them to death. And I don't know whether I need to kind of cut it and put the end in some um, weed killer or anything like that. It's always difficult when you've got climbers because as soon as you start using weed killer, it is so easy just to stray. I mean, obviously you'd be talking about using a paintbrush. Mm. Yeah. 
Um, but, but even so, Gwen rang in last week and she still, even when she used a paintbrush, had a problem mm. um, yeah. in the past and, and it did it did Does, you, you, move over. It's very hard. Particularly not... something like cooch grass when it goes in and around mm. the roots of other plants. Yeah. Um, so you do have a problem. Um, it's still basically just keeping at it, I'm yeah. afraid, mm. you know, hand weeding, constantly keeping at it. Because I, I have the same trouble. I've got cooch grass just going into all my beds and I hate it. Mm. Mm. It's a bugger to control. It's so ugly as well. Well, yeah. the paspellum's worse. Yeah. I mean, that is seriously ugly. <laughs> I've got that too. It features got, a lot in Patrick White though. So, yeah. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a challenge with it happening in roses and I've come to the conclusion there's a couple of roses that just got to go. Mm. So I can get at the weed. Yeah. Well, that's anyway. the only other option. Yeah. If you've got plants um, yeah. in that bed that you can actually lift, mm. really, really, really de-weed the whole mm. bed yeah. and then, then replant them back, them which, back. Which you could do in, in the wintertime. Mm. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And a lot so of with roses do, you could do that. Mm. A lot of climbers do aerial layer really well too. So if you bury a bit of the stem a bit you know, away mm-hmm. from where the weed is and you can pull the plant out. But I guess your problem was you said you didn't know where the base was, where it was coming yeah, from. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it's yeah. because it's on my boundary fence and I don't know whether it's so coming it's probably from the coming neighbor. From next coming door. from next door, yes. Well, yeah. it's, it, uh, I hate to say it, but it's, it looks like it's a case for using Roundup, mm. really, because the Roundup is systemic. You could do the, a stem The problem scrape. with Roundup is that it, it, in the environment it's been used so extensively. Mm. You've only got to see that in cropping areas where it's been used. But there are some cases where you have to use that to to eliminate your problem. So if with the cooch grass, if it's if they're not wrapped around another plant, if I get as if I pull it out as far as I can, and yeah. even could you put cut it off and then put the end of it paint in some it. weed paint killer? Yeah. Do you no. paint it? You don't need to put it in a jar. Of no, weed use a use a, use a little paintbrush and just paint the end. Yeah. Okay. And paint it as soon as you cut the end. Mm-hmm. It's got to be while well, the sap's still there. Yeah, yeah sure. And keep at it because it, one one fix won't do it, all right? Mm. Because uh, and leave the area uh, so you can visualise and, and see it come up again, and then paint that. Okay. 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 Good. Great. Luck. Thank you. Okay. Good luck. Okay. Bye. Bye. Uh, next up, we let me see. We have uh, Andy in Blackburn North. Good morning, Andy. Oh, good morning. My question is about um, finding suitable trees to plant into clay. I have a a block uh, that's sloped and I think when they built the house they pushed all the soil, sort of rammed it all up the back and Mm. there's just compounded, you know, clay. It's it's like rock in some places but I really desperately need some shade Um, and... I've fallen in love with the eastern redbud, the forest pansy, as a as a tree, but I'm just not sure. I'm I'm reading a lot about trees that might die after a couple of years getting established because the even if you dig down and and put some soil in, once that taproot finds the clay, then it could you know. Can um, I can I make a suggestion? Yes, Andy. I I have found that the Judas tree which is a very, very pretty tree. Yes. Um, I have found that Circus siliquestrum, so it's a very close um, relation of the forest pansy, but it's a bit tougher. Yes. And I have found that that is incredibly, during the drought, it just survived better than any other tree in my garden. Okay. It's, it's really hardy. It, Judas tree, it, it comes from a, originally from a pretty hot sort of area. Yes. Um, 
how do you spell Judas? Judas, as in Judas Iscariot from the Bible. Oh, yes, okay. And when you plant it in, how how do you prepare that site? I'm just not sure. You know, do you just... Well, clearly you're going to have to, over the years, just try to improve that soil, which means every year you need to be putting on leaf mould, um, mm-hmm. You know, you just need to be preparing it. So make a corner okay. in the back of your block where you can, yep. if you can buy um, or pick up from somewhere horse poo, you know, if you go out yep. a bit from you, you'll see it for $2 on the road. Yes. And then just compost that horse poo yep. and around your plants every year use um, pea straw as your mulch because it breaks sure. down and it'll feed the soil. If yep. the pea straw starts putting up little peas, be pleased because they will fix nitrogen in Mm. your soil. You you just need to be year after year after year just putting Mm -hmm. on old horse poo, old cow poo. Leaf litter. Leaf litter and and, um, pea straw. And console yourself by doing that that you are improving the the environment. Environment as well, yeah. Well, we we still grapple with soil and soil runoff. And um, we don't get awards for that or anything. But us gardeners are greenies, but it's a constant thing to keep that covered up. But what you're doing is Mm -hmm. is you're enhancing Mother Nature. Mm. And there are other tough trees you can try, but I do think if you have a look at a Judas tree, you'll Mm. like it. Mm. Mm. Okay. And even the forest pansy itself is a great one too. There's one one growing in a nature strip up the road from my house that's covered in bloody kaikuyu grass and they never irrigate it. And it does fabulously. So I I would give that a crack as well. Give them both a go. And laburnums as well, beautiful yellow flowers. Laburnums are tough as nails. Can okay, we go back to you okay. getting ready to prepare the area yes, for, to plant? Yes, Can I plant dig, dig it straight hole. into clay? Yep. Yes. Dig your hole mm-hmm. and don't kill yourself. Dig a okay. hole, put some water in, come yep. back the next day and dig some more out. Mm. Okay. Right? Yes. Come back the next day after you put some more water in that hole. And whatever you do, roughen up the sides of the hole as well. Yes. Right? Yes. And just keep digging quietly, quietly, quietly. Uh, and be prepared to say, look, I'm going to do this, dig these yep. holes for these trees over a period of a fortnight mm. okay, because you've got yes. to think about your back as well. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. But roughen up the sides so that the plant yes. can get, its, get a chance of getting in the clay. But when it's yes. in the clay, remember clay has got heaps of nutrition in it because it holds right. the minerals in the soil. Yes. Okay? Mm-hmm. And you'll be feeding okay. it by mulching it on the top mm. and right. it'll keep it going. So you okay. really need to rough up. The inside of that hole as much as possible because yeah. if you just dig in with a with a spade and leave a straight yeah, side, you're creating a sump. Yeah. You're creating okay. a new pot. The, the, the roots will right. ball, ball in that area and then in a couple of years' time you'll think, oh, look, that thing is just really failing. Yeah. yeah. So I dig the over. hole much bigger. Mm-hmm. Much wider. what you need. Much wider. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Really okay. rough. Rough it up. Yeah. So I will. I just read about that. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay. Thank you all so very much. Okay. That's fine. Okay. Good luck. Bye. Bye. Thank you. And uh, we have Anna in North Carlton. Good morning, Anna. Oh, good morning, panel. Thank you for your program. Uh, I have an indoor plant. I'm sorry, I don't know what its name name is, but it's it has huge leaves, very wide, about ten centimeters. And it's growing into a large plant. And I've just noticed recently the tips of the of the um, leaves are yellowing. And on one, on a couple of leaves, I've noticed little tiny spots, hundreds of them, white yellowish. 
and I don't know what they are. That's what a, could that, that be? That sounds to me like a fungus. Mm. Fungus. Yes, a fungus. Oh um, you can treat that with eco oil. Eco oil. Yes, roses get that problem too um, from time to time, particularly present this year. But the, that that those little um, uh, yes, the whole iridescent. Yes, covered in them. Yes, mm. the whole that's iridescent. That's definitely a fungus. Oh, yep. I see. Well, I have to say, this plant is sitting in the area which doesn't get a lot of fresh air. Yes. Put yeah. it outside for a while. Give it a chance to have a breathe. Yes, I was mm. thinking of that. I think it's in the wrong Not place. in the sun. Just mm. just give it a little rest outside. Yes, mm. yes I'll you, do that. And you can use eco-oil or with eco-fungicide as well. Ah, fantastic. Okay, but don't use it if it's going to be anything over 28 degrees on the day. Of course, it'll burn it probably. Yes. yes. And, and the yellowing tips on your leaves, Anne, yes. as well. That's food. In, in, indoor plants are a bit of a contradiction as well mm. because they, that can be symptomatic of so many things. It yes. can be symptomatic of overwatering as well as underwatering. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, I'm yeah. going to... Or hunger. Or yeah, lack or, of food. Or, or a bit of nutrition as well. It might, just might need a little bit of fertiliser. Yes, um, I see. So, so yeah. make sure it's 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 moist, but not too moist. I so, might <laughs> sprinkle some of those little tiny pellets. Do you think? Uh, like a slow release osmo- fertilizer. Yeah, slow release osmocote yep. or something. Yeah, yes, that's right. Be yep. ideal. Yep. Yeah. Oh, wonderful! Thank so you. So take very it much. outside and give it a lot of TLC. Yes, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye bye. Uh, Virginia, we should quickly mention this uh, herb and chili festival coming up. Yes, I was th- just thinking the other day. Isn't it wonderful? Autumn's going to come soon. So the heat will go and all the, all the events will start happening again. <laughs> I mean, Tesla always has its wonderful garden and plant expo, which mm. is, um, when will that be? That, that's March. That's March. That's March, the end of March. And then, of course, there's the Chili Festival, which is the weekend of the 17th and 18th of March. So then there'll be, I'm sure there'll be something happening up around Mount Macedon area as well. Mm. It's just lovely that these events start to happen again. So the Herb and Chili Festival is the first one I know about, which is Saturday 17th and Sunday 18th of March. And that's always good fun. Yep. And we will mention that closer to time mm. as well. Yep. Okay. Terrific. James, you've got another plant there with blue flowers. I do. I do. Um, this is blues a little... Your, blues your theme almost this morning. Oh, well, my, well, my front garden's kind of cool colours. So, yep. you know, I like, I like the mixture of blues and pinks and purples in my front. But this is, um, this is a great plant for this time of year, actually. Late summer... Um, some things have, you know, flowered and begun to slow down a bit, whereas this is just getting started. It's the the Chinese plumbago, and the the more common one is um, Ceratostigma plumbaginoides, but this is Ceratostigma wilmotianum, which gets a bit taller and bluer, and much bluer than plumbaginoides. Mm. Um, it, it's it's one of these plants that I've got a love hate relationship with in my garden because when it first comes up for the first two months. Um, so it's a, I mean, it's a herbaceous perennial. It dies back to the ground every year in the winter. Um, but for the first month or two after it reshoots, the snails just absolutely bloody love it and it mm. looks shocking. <laughs> okay. And then halfway through summer it dries out a bit and the snails, you know, go and hide and then it comes into its own. So there's, there's, a, there's a period of the year where it looks really tatty and, and, and it kind of grates on me a little bit. But then it comes good in the end, I just have to remember. Just hang in there. But, it, look, it's a really useful little plant. Um I guess I guess in borders and things you would use them as a as a as a medium um, shrub, but I've actually got Wilmotianum planted as a as a ground cover in mine, and I keep trimming it to stop it getting above a certain height because it will get up to about half a meter to a meter if you let it go. 
which is obviously not good for a front of a bed, but it does not mind a little bit of a cut to keep it in check. Um, so that's that's kind of how I treat it. And it's tough as nails. doesn't really need much supplementary irrigation at all to keep it looking it, fabulous. It doesn't like the frost. No, no, it doesn't. Um, but, but being in I've the city. got it around the house where it's happy because the but I've got one bed that gets frosted and I and can't it just, grow it. It there. just won't keep it won't no. perennialize there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but but really tough. A really good summer performer, I reckon. And it and it started flowering the last week or two, and it will be flowering for the next month. Mm. Um, so it's it's a good value plant. Ceratostigma wilmottianum. Fantastic. Very, very good. Very, very we good. also need to quickly. Uh, Virginia, talk about the Malabar spinach well, you brought in. I brought the Malabar spinach in because I'm not sure how it will survive on the frost. It won't. That's what I thought. Mm. Yes, and I thought, well, Pam will know. <laughs> it definitely won't survive in the frost, but also remember, although it's a perennial, it's a short-lived perennial, so it won't survive for more than a few years anyway. Um, there are two forms of it, and I notice you've got the rubra, Form, which is why you've got these wonderful it's, deep purple it, stems and the backs of the leaves. I think it is a beautiful plant, mm. and I've, I've, it is. It's, I've, we've jumped the gun here. It's called Malabar spinach, or um, or New Zealand spinach. They sometimes call it. Mm-hmm. Why I've no idea because it comes from India, and it's a climbing spinach from, um, or it's also known as Ceylon spinach. And I've let mine go into flower because the flowers are so beautiful. Oh, they're gorgeous. It's gorgeous when But it's as in soon flower. as you let it flower, the leaves get a bit bitter. Mm. And it will grow very easily by breaking a bit off and sticking it into the ground. It's very quick as and, well. Yes, and, and, it is. And edible. Mm. Oh, very yes. edible. You, and, you and use the leaves like spinach, hence yeah, the name. Like spinach is, is very full of nutrition. Like yes. yes. So very, very fleshy leaves. Mus- mucilaginous is one of my favourite words Virginia's to describe to it. <laughs> here, you can get your tongue around it. <laughs> it's, I think it's delicious. Yes. Mm. So no, it's lovely. But you need a, you need a trellis. Yeah, or you do, a, definitely. A post or something How to climb it up. How far will it go? Oh, I've seen it. I've seen it. What up to eight feet? Yeah, me too. Me too. I, yeah. I grow it in my garden, and and although it's a short-lived perennial, I always let it go to seed. Um, I let it flower and I let it go to seed, um, and then I've never I've never bothered to collect the seed because it'll just drop where the plants grow, mm. and then the next year, so you're getting success. Comes up from seed yeah. every year. So I've, I've planted it once, and I've been growing it for about yeah. eight years. Well, that's so. what I'm hoping, but I'm mm. obviously going to have to plant it somewhere where I'm not going to get frosted because mm. yes, I think it's really not. pretty, and I think the flower is really pretty. If, and, you, if you if you get it in a bit earlier next year, it'll definitely get to a stage where it sets seed. Mm. And and the great thing about it, seed setting stages as well that the 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 fleshy casing around the seed is has got this. beautiful beautiful deep purple pigment to it and mm. you know if you were a Mikhail Gorbachev impersonator or something like that you could use it to dye your head Mikhail it's, Gorbachev it's, it's really great it's a it's a beautiful color it really is I love I love cutting it back at the end of the growing season because it, you get your hands all this purple <laughs> did you dye if, if someone gives you some seed um you benefit by soaking the seed Overnight, yeah. uh, before you sow it, yeah. and also it really needs to have a soil temperature of about eighteen degrees before you hot. sow the seed. Absolutely, and it won't really take off until mm. we get mm. warmer weather. My my self seeded ones in the garden they don't germinate until high summer. Yes, so so like like things like the little um, the little uh, the mouse melons and things they like they'll come up when it's hot. Yeah, when it's really they really are, hot. Pam and, and James they're experts on growing this here. 
<laughs> I really like it, but even if you I'd were just it growing in, it as I'd an ornamental, I think it's, I think it's so year. pretty. I'd yeah. grow it as an ornamental. Yeah, me yeah. too. I think it's yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. The, the frost knocked it off the first frost we had. So yeah, if yeah. you're in a frosty area, mm. forget it. Yeah, well, it does come from India. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, okay. You've got you've got about thirty seconds to quickly tell us about this, Graeme. I have a climbing rose in here, a Pam, which is Renee. It's a gorgeous pink, and it's got a fantastic perfume. And it's also thornless, so I recommend it for anybody. And you can prune it with hedges. Okay. And uh, customers that over the years have paid tribute to it. It's a very lush little climate. It's a beautiful little flower. About two metres high, mm. lovely on an arch. Yeah, gorgeous. Ren- Renee. Okay. Thank you. All right. We have run out of time for yet another week. Um, gosh, time goes quickly. But um, we will be back, of course, at 7.30 next week. So uh, until then... Bye for now.